Welcome to episode 160 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung. Excited to come at you today with a an interview guest, one that for those longtime listeners, you will recognize her name. We have episode 83 guest, Mary Margaret Morrison, coming back on the show today. For those that listen to that one, you'll know that she came on to talk about her own journey to try to break a four-hour marathon and ended up not getting that goal in spite some coaching from Steve and I as she geared up for Twin Cities in 2018. She didn't get the goal, but she kept training, kept working. Ultimately, actually joined our virtual podcast training group earlier this year and then ended up smashing her goal. I won't tell you exactly what she did this fall, but she ended up smashing that goal and then some. And we're going to talk all about Mary Margaret's journey, not only through the quote-unquote defeat that she faced last year, but also the triumph that she just faced this fall in finally smashing that sub four goal of hers. So excited to have her back on. This also marks the day that we're opening our next round, season five of our virtual podcast training group. And so part of the reason why I'm having Mary Margaret on is because she's been with us in the journey in that group and training for her last marathon. So she'll talk a little bit about her experiences and doing that. So for those that are on the fence or considering joining, then this episode is for you. You can also find more details as well as listen to a sample podcast training episode, which come out every week and you only have access to if you're a part of that group that not only gives you instructions on the week, but also gives you a lot of other random banter from Kate and I that sometimes gives you some not only tips but also just behind the scene thoughts on behind the scenes thoughts on things that might be happening in the public world of running that that uh, the main podcast listeners don't get so you get some behind the scenes banter as well that I think is really interesting so you can listen to a sample episode if you go to roguerunning.com forward slash podcast training as well as get all of the details on that program, which signups will open today. December 9th will be open through January 3rd, so you have about a four-week window to jump in, and then we'll be starting our spring season for Season 5 in earnest on January 6th, and you'll have the opportunity to train for a spring marathon, ideally targeting races in the April and May time frame, as well as We'll have a half marathon track as well as a speed track for the spring for those that are looking to do 5K or 10K distance. So whatever your distance, we've got a program for you. All of those details, again, are on the website, roguerunning.com forward slash podcast training. And I have just opened signups so you can sign up there and then we'll be giving you more instructions as we go from there. So that's really the purpose of today. Before I jump in with Mary Margaret, I wanted to quickly give you a couple of things to go check out. This isn't necessarily current events, but articles that I rec- that I recommend to bring some inspiration to your life. And I'll give you a little bit of the reasons why I want you to look at each of these. But first, I want to highlight a couple of pieces from Women's Running Magazine. I got to meet Jen Ator, the editor-in-chief for Women's Running Magazine, She was in Austin last week for the running event and was on a panel that we did at Rogue on Clean Sport for the Clean Sport Collective podcast. She was one of our panelists. As a part of that, preparing for that panel, I got to dig in on some of her recent work 
in with Women's Running Magazine. Not only she not only edits but also writes for them, and wanted to highlight a couple of articles from her. I'll link to all of these in the show notes because I find them inspiring and then also help you be a fan of the sport. First one she did, and this was actually the the feature, the first feature I think that Jen actually put together for women's running was a piece on Kara Goucher talking about the evolution of her career. This one came out before she did the 50K trail race recently, but after she did the Leadville Trail Marathon. And so it gives kind of that perspective in between on her journey now as a runner. And I think there's just so many good nuggets in there to not only you know celebrate Kara if you're a fan, but also to apply to your own running, regardless of where you are in the journey. And I think Kara provides really inspiring perspective on on how to keep that journey in perspective and as the journey has evolved for her from competing at the highest levels in elite sport to now doing it for different reasons she has clearly brought good perspective to that in a time when she could be demotivated by demotivated by the fact that she's no longer competing for olympic teams and i think that perspective that she shares in the article is really, really powerful and inspiring to just remind us that, you know, if, if you love the journey, if you love this sport, then it's all about finding ways to continue to do that, to t- can continue to enjoy the process. And while goal setting and striving for big, big goals might be a part of that, that's not the reason why we should do it. We should do it because we love it and and continue to find new ways to challenge ourselves to keep it exciting. And so Kara talks about that in the context of her own running. So that's a good one I wanted to point you to. I also wanted to point you to an article from Jenny Torre where she featured or, or covered and featured the, the women of NAZ Elite, Northern Arizona Elite, coached by Ben Rosario. Three of the women in that group, the marathoners, were featured and a cover article for women's running recently talking to Kellen Taylor, Steph Bruce, as well as Alephine Tulliamuk, all of them gearing up for the trials in Atlanta in February, all with very unique journeys and backgrounds. Kellen Taylor is a firefighter by day, a mom, a firefighter by day, who's also trying to train and compete at the very highest levels. Steph Bruce is also a mom of two kids, has had a really interesting journey for her and what is now a very long career for her and she continues to crush it not only in 5k's and 10k's you know on the road and track but also in the marathon and you know just recently of course ran a PR in Chicago as as I've talked about while you know crapping her pants along the way because of the commitment to the goal and and then Alphine who you know is has a completely different story and journey and maybe is the least known of that group, but is a really inspiring story in her own, in her own right. So I'll link to that article because I think it helps to get you helps to show you the human side of the sport. And yes, we love these women for the, the absolute badasses they are in the marathon or on the track. But the fact that they're, amazing humans as well that are complicated and sometimes messy but also beautiful and inspiring at the same time that's the story of this feature and it helps you I think become fans of them in a more personal way 
So would highly recommend you check that one out, especially as we're gearing up here to, to start to hone in on the trials because all three of them, you know, I think are going to be in the mix and have a chance and they're going to be powerful in a group dynamic too, because they're going to be able to work with each other, feed off each other that may play to their advantage. So that's another article I would recommend. And then the third one, not from running actually, but one that was posted today, soccer player, world cup champion, golden boot winner from the world cup, Megan Rapino was featured as the sports illustrated sports person of the year. Only the fourth time that a woman has earned that award or that recognition by herself, which is a huge accomplishment and also sign of, of the work that we continue need to continue to do on giving the given women their proper due. But I would check out that story on Megan because it talks a lot about her journey, which is inspiring in its own right, but also the process of her being herself and finding her voice in such a public way and, and doing that while also trying to compete and win a world cup while standing strong and firm for so many issues from equal pay to equal rights to political stances that she takes. And while you may not agree with her perspectives on things, I think you can't help but be inspired by the fact that she's willing to stand up for what she believes in and be quintessentially herself while doing it. And so it's an inspiring read. Go check that out. I'm, I happen to be a soccer fan, and so I'm biased a little bit here, but I think it's actually a powerful article whether you're a soccer fan or not. And one of the things that she talks about in there that I thought was particularly interesting was this idea of people coming to her, you know, as somebody who, you know, is, is a vocal about equal rights, people coming to her and say, hey, how can I be that vocal coming from whatever place they might be coming from? She gives an example in the article about, you know, some a white woman, white, white heterosexual woman coming and asking her, how can I be vocal? How can I take a stand from my place of privilege? And... Megan gives advice in there that I think is applicable to all of us, which is to one, be aware of and to recognize that place of privilege out loud vocally. And as a part of that, also say, you know, because of this perspective, I don't have all the answers and I can't fully put myself in the shoes of someone who might be facing different struggles and inequalities than I might face but I'm still going to try and I might be messy in doing it, but I'm still going to speak and try and know I'm know I'll make mistakes along the way, but standing up and recognizing the, the fact that the pet, even if the perspective is limited, recognizing that you can be a part of the, the dialogue still, even in the imperfections of that is still powerful. So there's a little bit in the article on that, which I think is helpful for all of us as we, are now in a world where it's important to take a stand on issues. And as fans, I think we have more of a voice than ever on 
topics that athletes that we might believe in are taking a stand on because of social platforms and the ability to rally behind somebody publicly through social media in order to help elevate their platform. And that can be true whether you believe in Megan Rapino or Kara Goucher's stands that she's taking on on clean sport or dream maternity. Same with Alicia Montano and Lauren Fleshman and there's a long list of people that are taking a stand and you can be a fan of them and elevate their voice and help them feel firm in their commitment to a cause in a way that we that we couldn't do perhaps 10 years ago where everything was filtered through the media or through the governing bodies or whatever sources it may have come from then. So so check those three things out. The, the feature on Kara from Women's Running as well as the feature on NA, the NAZ Elite Women from Women's Running and shout out to Genator for that work. And then shout out to Jenny, Jenny Vrentis from, from SI for the Megan Rapino article. Also really powerful. So I'll share those three in the show notes and hope you read and be a fan of them all and take whatever lessons you might from those articles. All right, so let's turn to our conversation with Mary Margaret and we'll begin the discussion for those that haven't listened to episode 83 and don't know Mary Margaret's story about her quest for sub four. We'll start with context there so everybody can get caught up to speed so you don't necessarily have to go back to episode 83, although I would encourage you to do so. And then we'll we'll learn about Mary Margaret's journey. So here we go. Welcome, Mary Margaret, back to the Running Rogue podcast. How are you doing today, Mary Margaret? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to be back. <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you back. And this this one is episode 160. You were on one episode 180, uh, sorry, 83, not 183, 83. So it's been almost a year and a half since we talked at least in person on the podcast. And so I wanted to, before we jump into everything that's happened more recently. I want to talk about how we got connected and bring some context for those that maybe haven't gone back and listened to episode number 83. And so it all started with an email to me that you sent back in June of 2018. And I'm going to read that just so we kind of remind people and set the context for how we first connected. But you said in your subject line, how can I trust the slow, long runs? Question mark. And your email said, I'm a 43-year-old mom of four living in Lawrence, Kansas. I love to run and want to get faster and show my kids what it looks like to set goals and work to achieve. I've done several half marathons and felt pretty good about those. My one marathon six years ago was not a great experience. I started too fast and spent the last six miles looking for a bridge off which to leap. I'm training for Twin Cities, and my training plan is far more thorough and thoughtful, but here's my dilemma. I hear you guys saying, go for your goal, no plan B, and that means start at goal pace, right? Question mark. I'm having trouble trusting that I'll be able to sustain pace when my long runs are slower. I want to finish strong and happy. My half marathons run around 150. I'd say I'm slow, but Chris would send me about that, so I'll just say I want to run under four. But you probably know that that I really want is Boston. <laughs> I'm addicted to your podcast. It's the absolute best. So that email prompted an exchange between us that got you on the show for episode 83, where in that episode, 
we kind of coached you up. We answered your question, but also helped you refine your training program and hopefully at the time give you faith that by going slower, you could run sub four in Twin Cities. Spoiler alert, that did not happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so yeah. before we talk about Twin Cities, I want to talk about how you reflect on that conversation we had in episode 83. What what was that like? What did you learn then? And how do you think about it now? Um, gosh, I think one of the big things that did is just got me really excited about running because I had only recently decided that I could actually identify myself as a runner. I was, I was that new to it really. And, um, just having the exchange with, with y'all and you just like having faith that I could do it. I was like, Oh, well, he's really smart and he thinks I can do it. So obviously I can do this. And so, um, yeah, I I went into training and I was honestly really trained up pretty well for Twin Cities and I I really think I was in sub four shape. I really yeah. do. I um that my training went really well. I wasn't injured. I felt good and I felt strong and um yeah, about oh gosh, I can't even remember the details now, but I want to say ar- around 20 I started getting really sick and was vomiting a little bit, but I was just sure that wasn't going to slow me down much. And then, and then before I knew it, I was hands and knees on the side of the, uh, on the side of the course. It got pretty rough. Um, and you know, it's interesting. I finished that race and, um, it, it was, it was sad. I think it made it really hard that I, it was, I felt like it was very public and I don't know if I would, it wasn't external pressure, really. It was all internal pressure, but I wanted to do it for, for Rogue because Rogue believed that I could do it. And, you know, my friends knew about it and my family, but, um, so it was really hard. I, I was really disappointed in myself, I guess, but also, I finished that saying it was kind of a great day. Like it still, I I grinned mm-hmm. through 19 miles of that race. I mean, people were saying she look, she's smiling. Um, so I think even though I finished and was was sad that it didn't turn out the way I wanted to, I finished um, knowing that I was going to redouble my efforts. I did not feel defeated. I felt like. It was, I had the, I had the fitness and I knew that I could do it now. I yeah. knew that that just wasn't my day. So and you would end up running a 416 yeah. that day, vom- vomiting your mm-hmm. way to the finish line. Yep. What do you think happened there? Stomach wise. You know, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I was doing, um, I, I'm a big UCAN fan, but did only UCAN that day. And, um, I, you know, I, I honestly don't know. I, I know that by the end of the race, I, you know, it's like a seven hour drive home and I did not stop to pee. 
So obviously, and that is very strange for me, who has right. grown for humans in my body. So I know that at least after the race, I had, I was very dehydrated. Um, and, um, but yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm not really sure what went wrong because I had practiced. I, I feel like it did not make the stupid newbie errors. The weather was fine. Um, I don't know. It was just one of those things, which happens in <laughs> it a marathon. Does. It's hard to accept that, though. Sometimes, you know, and, and but it happens. It does just happen. Where sometimes, even if you try to think of all the ways you could get better, and I think that's a healthy part of any process is thinking, what could I have done differently? What could I have done better? But sometimes you don't. You can't necessarily find that thing that went wrong that caused whatever to go wrong to go wrong. And in your case. It was your stomach completely revolting. And while, yeah, you know, had that not happened, you probably would have gotten your goal, you know, knowing that it did happen and that you don't really know why. How did you move forward, though, with some uncertainty, but also some new confidence? Well, I tell you what, I'm not sure what I would have done if I had gotten my goal. I think I would have kept going, but maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe I would have been like, okay, I did that and done something else. And I cannot tell you how happy I am that I didn't. And I am a person who is determined. If I say it out loud, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do it or die trying. And um, so as is the case with so many people, I think I now in retrospect, I'm glad it happened like it did. Hmm. Um, it made redemption so sweet. <laughs> and I think that not only through this cycle has my fitness grown, I think just my love of the sport and just my wonder at all of the things that running does for me and for so many people has grown so much. And I kind of think that I have, um, you know, barfing on the side of the course at Twin Cities to thank for that in a way. That's pretty interesting perspective. How long did it take you to process that that tough result. I remember sending you an email with some encouraging words asking you at the time if you wanted to come on and talk about it because people were asking me how did Mary Margaret do because we had put out that public sub four goal, but but you weren't ready at that time, which I totally understood. So how long did it take you mm -hmm. to process it? You know, quite honestly, not very long. I, I, I remember sending an email to my brother that day saying, is it weird that I think this was a great day when I was puking in front of like 20,000 people? <laughs> so it, it really, I was not that upset about it. I think I just didn't want anybody else to, I was just like, no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> I just felt like these people don't want to hear my sob story. And and I was kind of embarrassed, right. you know. Um, but honestly, like personally, I was I was pretty okay pretty fast because I knew that I was gonna get right back on the horse and go for it. And I knew I'd get it. I just I knew I would. 
I had decided that I was going to. <laughs> so, you know. That's good. A lot of people have asked yeah. for sure over the years and and I'm glad we can now tell them officially <laughs> in, in this more formal way on your second time on the podcast yeah. that uh, that it didn't go so well that day, but there was a happy happier ending, which is a journey that you're continuing on. But before we jump to what went next or what happened next, I did want to linger a bit on what you might have learned in training for Twin Cities. You know, you said you came in pretty fit. Obviously, we had pointed you in different directions versus the schedule you were following. So what do you think you learned from that cycle that you now carry with you? From that cycle, it was kind of a long time ago. Um, I can tell you mm -hmm. the one of the biggest differences between that cycle and my next cycle, and I'm not sure if I, if I was aware of this right then as I was finishing that cycle, or it sort of information that I've gathered since, but, um, I have really embraced the easy days, easy, hard days, hard. Um, and mm -hmm. that has made a huge difference. Um, just realizing how willing I am to work hard on the hard days knowing that the next day I can chill. I mean, I will, I will be, I am aware of that during hard workout days. I'm like, yes, this is hard tomorrow. I just get out to get to go out and go for a little jog. And it really does make yeah. me want to work harder. Um, so that was one thing. And um, another thing is um, I just, I just eat more. I, I think I, I, I ate enough during last cycle. I don't think I like lost weight, but I remember hearing someone say somewhere along the way that one of the best ways to not get injured is eat a lot. And, hmm. you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty small person and, um, I just was, I have been recently much more, just aware of if I am kind of feeling run down during the day where normally I would be like, well, I've already, I already ate lunch. I'm fine. And then I've, I've kind of come to realize that that is my body saying you're not fueled. You know, you are, you are burning too much off. So have a snack. And, um, I've gotten better about that. And I, I really think that's helped because I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I know a ton of people do it, but for me, I'm kind of amazed at the fact that I'm 44 years old and now I can run 50 miles a week and not get hurt. I mean, I'm really proud of that. I think that was as proud of that um, for this last marathon than I was that that I was that I that I reached my goal. I was so proud of my body for holding up. And, um, yeah. so I think just, just really taking care of the nutrition side and, and really chilling on the easy days. That's probably two of the big things. Yeah. Well, let's take those in turn because they're both powerful lessons and it's kind of ironic that your first one takes us, takes us back to that first email that you sent me, which is, I'm really struggling buying this idea of going slow on the long runs, especially, but, but I think you captured 
in a way that I'm maybe not always as articulate about capturing is that it's, if you think about it in context, that's where it really matters. You know, it, it, if you run hard on those quality days and in those occasional long runs with pace work, then you have to balance that with the easy days and, and recognizing that that balance makes everything fit together so that you can get faster is what's important versus just asking the question in isolation. You know, why is this day slow, so to speak? Slow in air quotes. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and what's interesting about that, I think that lesson is that as, as many times as I can say it on this podcast and say it until I'm blue in the face as a coach, it takes each person experiencing it and really getting it as an individual before it sinks in. I mean, everybody has to kind of internalize that lesson in different ways. Do you have a moment or, you know, a week where you kind of can point to you to say, Hey, this is where I really understood what you were talking about there. Oh, I don't know if I can point to a, to a specific time, but I feel like it became with this with, with this cycle, this build up to the Prairie Fire Marathon that I did most recently, it just became more and more clear that that was the ticket, and I wanted to go fast. I was jacked up for workout day. I was ready to rock, so excited, and I would not have been that way if the day before that I had gone out and run, you know, comfortably hard, you know. I was jacked up and ready to right. go because the day before I was running like some 1045 miles and chilling out and did not care if, you know, could not have cared less how fast I was going. I was just out there moving my legs and, um, it, yeah, it just, it became very clear that that was what was going to make me want to hit those workouts and those tempos and, stuff like that. Yeah. And I would imagine part of that's reinforced by the fact that you start to see some magic on those quality days when you, when you actually take those easy days easy enough. It's true. Yes. And I will say, I, I mean, I was by no means the perfect coaching client because I, I still go too fast. I think it's the I think it's the the sprinter background. I think I have the short twitch, and so I, I remember you did one one. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the of the episode, but you were either talking about pet peeves or like mistakes runners make, and I kept thinking, oh my gosh, he could have just prefaced that whole thing with Mary Margaret, you moron, <laughs> and then gone on because. <laughs> I think you were talking a lot about when I tell you to run 10K pace, run 10K pace. And I was like, oh, I so didn't run 10K pace yesterday. Um, But I gave myself a break because then the next day I ran super, super slow. So I don't know. (laughs) I'm sure I made a lot of mistakes, but it worked. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about it it working and again to kind of spoil the news you ended up running not just breaking four prairie fire but you broke you ran 350 so you broke four by 10 minutes which is pretty cool 
And at some point along the way, and you'll have to remind me exactly when you joined our virtual podcast training group for for the athletes that that train with me as a coach through this platform and get kind of a separate dedicated podcast each week and training program. When did you join? What was the decision making around that? And how did how did that start for you? Well, I I kind of one of my kind of resolutions for this year was to be a more social runner. And I was going to join a group here in town and I went a couple of times and it was just it was, just wasn't a fit. Um there were not a lot of runners that there were a lot of people who were kind of trying to do their first half. So it was just kind of a, a different set of people and they were great and super nice, but I was, I just knew that it wasn't quite what I needed. And I'd been intrigued by the podcast training group anyway. And so I hopped in like right at the beginning of, of the cycle. So I guess it was about this time of year that I hopped in. Would that be right? I don't know. Yeah, season, yeah that would be when we okay. opened season three. We're about to open season five. So okay. you came on board for season three and season four which would have meant training. I think you did a half marathon block, right? For the, for this, for the season three leading mm-hmm. up to something in April. You'll have to remind me. Um, I did. I don't think I was on the, on the training group at that point though. I did a, I did a half marathon last April, but so maybe I joined in the, I can't remember. Okay. Well, it would have been either season three, which would have started in January of 2019 or season four, which started in June. And for those that started in June, we were training for the fall races. So you jumped in for Prairie Fire for that cycle. Yes. To train for the marathon. Yes. And what were your, what were your first impressions? Um, well, I can tell you it has been an absolute delight. I, I really thought I was getting in it for the training for just for, so that you could tell me what to run and I could turn my brain off and just do whatever you told me to do, because I'm really not a person who like, you know, I don't care if I get likes on Instagram, that kind of thing. Like that does not trip my trigger. Um, so I did not anticipate loving it as much as I did. But I absolutely adored it. I feel like these people are my friends and family. I am super sad when they don't get what they want. I am all up in everybody's life and they are up in mine. I remember one run that um, I was doing a long run. And I think my kids called me three times during the long run. And um, somebody couldn't find their notebook. And somebody couldn't find their shoes because my and my husband was getting everybody ready for school that day. And so, of course, that's when I, you know, when I kind of reported my workout from the day from the day, I told the training group that this is what has occurred. And the feedback was hilarious. You know, everybody wants to know, did we find the notebook? You know, (laughs) um, yeah, I mean, it's it it has been awesome. It really has. And I have celebrated and mourned with all of my teammates. I really have. I mean, it is, it has really been something really special. The community is powerful. 
I definitely want to talk more about that, but I also want to talk about the training parts of it. What has been different for you now that I am telling you what to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> more formally um, as you built to Prairie Fire. I love the specificity of the workouts. I love that you tell me why I'm doing it and what's it gonna, what it's going to do for me. And um, I feel like it is, you give it enough flexibility so that you can make it just hard enough for yourself. You know, I mean, I work out days and, and, you know, some of those long runs with, with some, with some work in them, I worked super hard because those were my hard days and I'm going to work hard, but I never left them thinking that was, that was all I had to give. I always held a little back, which was what we were prescribed to do. And, um, I don't know. It just, I felt myself getting more and more fit and that was pretty cool. (laughs) Was this your first time to, to incorporate pace work into your long runs for a race? Yes. Talk about that. I mean, that's, I mean, and, and, and it's not just pace work. I mean, obviously I recommend that generally, but the versions of that, that we do in this group for the podcast group on paper are kind of scary. Oh, they're super so, scary. So how yeah. did you wrap your head around that thinking, man, this is the first time I've done stuff like this. And if I look at this on paper, I want to run away. <laughs> you know, for sure. Yeah, some of them are super scary. And then I did them, <laughs> which was crazy. Yeah. Um, and so just the confidence that that gave me was huge. Um, but I really came to like those quite a bit. I feel like it breaks up the long run so much. And I would find myself at the end of the long run when I'm supposed to be doing my cool down. And then I realized that I was running like nine minute pace on my cool down when I was you know, supposed to be really going slow. And I think just like whipping up some speed in there, it just lit a fire in me. And um I I really enjoyed those. And um, yeah, like I said, they just gave me a lot of confidence. I think you would really, you would really iterate that kind of, this is a kind of, this is a workout that really tells us something like the McClung special. Um, And so when I, when I was able to complete that workout, I thought I'm going to do it. I can do this. So. And as a part of that, I mean, we were talking originally about 909 pace. I mean, that's four hours, right? And getting underneath that, which would have been just a little bit less than that. But ultimately, you ran close to 850 for your marathon. Talk about that progression. I mean, how did you find yourself suddenly cruising workouts at 850 and feeling good about it versus that original sub four goal? Oh, yeah. I don't know. So. This is where I, I, I can tell you the like complete um, happy success story. And then I'll tell you a little undercurrent that was going on as well. Um, my spoken goal for this marathon, the Prairie Fire Marathon, was, I mean, it was obviously to run under sub four because 
that was just sort of, I needed to do that to prove to myself that I could. But my spoken goal was I wanted to complete a marathon feeling good and strong the whole time and not like it beat me, but I beat it. (laughs) And um, that was kind of it. That was what I wanted to do. And so I tried not to think about it too much. I don't know if you noticed, but I was one of the few who did not submit a race plan right right before the race. Oh, oh, I noticed. I noticed. And (laughs) yeah, so um, I think that was because it was for it was for several reasons. I think part of me was a little afraid to say, Chris, Kate, this is what I think I can do. Because if I'd said 350, I was on one hand afraid that you would say, MM, your PR is a 416, and that may be a bridge too far. Or I thought there was another side of me that thought, looking at my training, you were going to say, I think you can run a 345. (laughs) And the truth is, I think I maybe could have run a 345. Yep. I, throughout the entire marathon, I think if somebody would have asked me at any second how I was doing, I would have said, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I felt, I felt that strong through the whole thing. And so it was, it felt, it was, it was a triumph because I really did. I felt awesome through the whole thing. And I finished and I thought I did exactly what I wanted to do because I felt good through the whole thing. And I I got a sub four. Um, But then I have to say that when I started hearing other people's race reports and hearing the stories of how much they pushed and how deep they were willing to dig and how they were, you know, sprinting to the finish line with everything they had. I was thinking I could have given more. So there is that. So um, I, I don't know. I'm not, it doesn't make me feel disappointed because I loved this marathon. I loved the buildup. I loved everything about it. Um, and I'm glad that I set that goal that was maybe a little bit soft. Um, but at the same time, I I do think about, you know, the way that you like people to set goals that are, that are lofty and that you're going to have to work really hard for. And I was, I was afraid that if I set one that was maybe just on the edge of what I could do, that I wasn't going to get it and I wasn't willing to not get it. I wasn't willing to say, I want to run a 345 and then run a 347. Well, I don't, I don't know how I would have responded because I didn't have that opportunity. But if I try to put myself there, I think I would have told you to do exactly what you did because Mm -hmm. yes, there's a time and a place to find that edge, but especially when you're relatively new to the marathon, there's also a lot of magic in, in putting yourself in position to finish strongly so that you teach yourself what that feels like and looks like, which builds confidence for races to come. 
and and you know also given the fact that you know we wanted to to nail that sub four goal before we look too far ahead i think pushing that down 10 minutes would have been plenty in my mind and and i would have totally agreed with this idea of just having a good experience even if there was more more to go get because because the other part of this and this is i think sometimes a challenge for people to think about is that you know we get so laser focused on what's right in front of us and we don't contextualize it and you know i think you're you're still relatively new to this we'll see where it goes and we'll talk about that in a second but but what you ran in this one doesn't really matter so much in the grand scheme because you've got a lot more potential what matters is how it felt and how you think about it and what you learned and creating that experience of finishing strong in a race so that you can believe then you can do it regardless of what edge you're trying to find and there's so much power in that even if it leaves you a little bit hungry, I know you're not disappointed, but you're hungry for more. And that is also very, very important. Yeah. I like, I like it when people finish, get their goal, finish strong, but then think, Oh, I could have gone a little faster. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a, that's the perfect yeah. feeling because then you're hungry to go get something else. Yeah. So, Going back to the training for a second, did you find yourself in this cycle, or let me ask it this way, how would you compare your easy running in this cycle for Prairie Fire versus your easy running for the Twin Cities cycle? Was Were they similar? You know, where you kind of learned that no. lesson or did you take it to a new level? I took it to a new level. I mean, yeah, my easy running, I, if I found myself pushing the slightest bit for one minute, I would be like, Oh no, slow down. I mean, yeah, I was extremely chill on my recovery days. And I think that was, that was very instrumental in me being willing to work hard on the harder days. Um, and then my long runs, knowing what the marathon pace ended up being, they were they were just about right. I was worried that you were going to, you know, call me out because they if I had been trying to run a four hour marathon, they were fast. But seeing that I ran a 350 marathon, they were they were pretty, pretty much right where they should have been, I think. Which was where? So, can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I am, I am notorious um, in the group for having no idea what my paces are because I am a very by-feel girl, which I'm honestly pretty good at. But usually when, when I'm – it's like I'm supposed to be alternating between marathon goal pace and 10K pace. The way I do it is to – think in my mind, okay, now I'm pretending I'm running in a 10K. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's what I do. And then I think, now I'm going to pretend I'm running a marathon. And and that's how I do my pacing. <laughs> you know, that's pretty that's pretty awesome. <laughs> that's pretty awesome because because it's that and I actually sent a long 
email or a I had a long section in my email to my group here in Austin last week that was dedicated to running by feel and mm-hmm. and listening to your body. And I think especially in our Garmin driven age and Strava driven age, it's really hard for people to do that. And but yeah, it's so important. Because I also get the question a lot from people, well, how do I do that? If I'm not looking at my watch, how do I know if I'm right? <laughs> if I'm, if I'm you know, not paying attention to the pace. But what you described is perfect. And it's really kind of the way it should be. Yeah. And I'm not, yeah. And I don't think I am right every time. But I think, you know, if you look at it broadly, then I'm, I'm close enough. And to me, that is definitely worth not having to be a slave to my watch and to just be able to enjoy the ride. Yeah. Well, and, and what you learn so, about what you can actually accomplish and, and then how, what that teaches you about how you manage yourself in a race. I mean, it becomes so valuable because your watch can't run for you. Yeah, it's true. So yes. kudos on that. That's a huge, that's a huge thing, especially considering you're, in your words, relatively new to this. Although I'd say at this point, you're getting to be a salty veteran. So what else did we learn in training this time? I became much more deliberate about uh, weight training. And I was a two time a week weight training and one yoga. And the, uh, the, I really think the yoga was, was really helpful too. It just, I think it just gave me a little more body awareness. If something was tight when I was in yoga, I knew it. And it's not the super, super like stretchy kind of yoga, but it definitely, I would leave there and I would feel much bendier and, and just loose. I really enjoyed that. And then the weight training, it was, I mean, I didn't do heavy, heavy stuff, but it was like Olympic lifting. I did, you know, deadlifts and squats and, um, and I felt myself getting stronger. I mean, my body started to feel really different. And even sometimes when something was a little sore and luckily I really did, I made it through the whole cycle with nothing that was like more than about a 0.5 on the pain scale. I was, I really was very proud of my body for holding up the way it did. But if something was a little sore, sometimes I would lift, like I would have a little bit of a sore IT band and I would lift and it would feel perfect. And I feel like it was almost like, I don't know, those big muscles would, would it helped them take over a little more or something. I focused a lot on glute strength. Um, I did a lot of clamshells and, you know, sidewalks with the band, pretty much everything that I heard that somebody told me would help me not get injured and keep everything balanced. I just went ahead and did it. I threw it in there. Were you on on the Olympic, on the Olympic style lifting, the more hubby barbell lifting, were you you, uh, working with a trainer on that or how were you doing it? No, no, but, um, I have really, I, I was, I danced when I was young. So having good form comes very naturally for me. I can, I can look at myself or look at somebody else and know immediately 
that doesn't look right or so crucial in that world. Yes. Yeah. So I felt, I felt pretty comfortable and kind of coaching myself up there. So were you were doing that twice a week, then, then what did your, give us some background on what your week did look like. You said you're running 50 miles a week and doing two strength sessions and a yoga session. How did that all fit together? Yep. All right. Monday was the workout day. And I seriously was the first person to do the workout on the podcast training group every week. Kind of became a joke because I was posting that workout at like 6 a.m. I was all finished, ready to ready to go, ready to yeah. start my week on Monday. And um, and then I also do weights on Monday. So um, then Tuesday, a really slow recovery run and yoga is Tuesday. So I was always a little nervous about stacking the, putting the yoga on the recovery day, but it seemed to be working really well for me. And so I just stuck with it. And you, I assume you ran first on those days and then did yoga. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, Wednesday, medium long run, usually with some pickups or something like that, um, which usually shook out to be about 10 miles and um, weights again. Then Thursday, just super, super chill, maybe like four or five miles. Long run Friday, super, super chill on Saturday and Sunday off. Nice. That fits, that fits together nicely. So one thing that you know I've talked about before on this podcast is this idea of keeping your hard days hard, your easy days easy. So the idea of stacking strength on a quality day can actually work as long as you're taking a recovery seriously enough. Was that an adjustment for you on the for those Mondays and Wednesdays or or did it move transition pretty seamlessly? It really transitioned pretty seamlessly. Um the only the only issues I ever had were scheduling issues cuz I have four kids and sometimes that's a lot of balls to keep in the air. But um, as far as the way it made my body feel, it was really good. And I, I liked having those those two strength workouts on the Monday, Wednesday. And even though the long run is on Friday, it still made me feel like with the long run Friday, really easy Saturday and Sunday off, I felt like the end of the week, I was kind of winding down and then by monday morning i was just ready to get it that's awesome that's awesome all right so let's talk about the race itself a little bit more you've given us just a little bit on the fact that you didn't share your plan but uh give us a little bit of the play-by-play how'd it go (laughs) it went awesome so it's a Prairie Fire Marathon in Wichita, Kansas. It is one of these marathons where, honest to goodness, you can just like walk out of your hotel room, walk up to the starting line five minutes before the race starts and then start running. <laughs> it's very small. It is it is uh, two laps, um, very flat, not super scenic, um, but they have everything you need. They have the appropriate amount of water stops and and um you know goo or whatever you need um so it was great i really liked it i even liked the two loops because it just made that set i was so comfortable 
in that second loop because I was just like, oh, I, I've got this. I can do this. I already did it once. I, it just, it really made me feel really comfortable. Um, my uh, nutrition plan was I had oatmeal in the morning when I got up. I had a can bar on the line. And then I did a goo every 45 minutes. And for me, I just seem to respond a little bit better to the straight up sugar. Um, I like that you can at the beginning and um, I think it's a really good product, but just I tried a, a number of things with my long runs and that really seemed to help me keep my energy up better. So that's what I did. Um, it worked great. I felt good the whole time. Um, so yeah, I think I only had to have one potty stop, which for uh, me with my compromised bladder from growing humans in my body, as I've said, is pretty darn good. Um, and I really, I think I made, I got through the half in like 155 or something like that. I don't remember, but, um, I, I just, I knew, I mean, I was like, I've got this. I feel great. I was, I was talking to people the entire time. I mean, it's not like there are a lot of people, but everybody I've passed, I chatted. And um, I mean, it's right. not like it was easy. The marathon is never easy. Um, but I, I felt good and strong the whole time. Like, yeah, it was, it was a party. It was a, it was, it felt like a celebration. It really did. And my husband had, he had to stay home with the kids. He was running kids around all day, but he had so much fun tracking me. He was very sad when I was done because he was like, well, now I'm bored because that was super fun. And, um, you know, so it was just fun. Did you have any lingering PTSD from the prior year? Were there any nerves, anxiety, you know, what if this happens again kind of feelings going in? I mean, the tiniest bit, like in the back of my mind, I know the marathon is a beast and I know it throws crazy things at you. And, and you know, as you've said, I had done two before and both of them had started well and ended poorly. So I knew that that was something that happens. But um, I also knew that I was well-trained, I was healthy and I felt like I had a really good plan and yeah, like I said, once I got halfway through, I, I really did. I felt like I knew that I was going to be fine. So, yeah. And one of the things I know going back to kind of that podcast group and community, one of the things I hear a lot from people is I get confidence from other people's results. And, yeah. and while not everybody has the perfect day, there are a lot of really good results. And then you read about, read those race reports and then use that to fuel your own, your own races. Was there any of that going on for you? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I had, I have definitely come to understand that if you are trained up for, you know, the numbers say you can run a certain time, then then you you can't run it. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to because things can go wrong. 
but just the confidence that I knew my body was strong enough to do it. And it was working for everybody else. And so many other people in the group. I mean, we, we run the gamut. We had first time marathoners in the group. And then we have people who are just, they really are the salty veterans. They, you know, they really know what they're doing. And there's just a lot of evidence that what we do works. So, yeah, I was, I was pretty confident. <laughs> I love, I love the confidence. And I think the fact that you had already had properly contextualized the prior year's, you know, challenge <laughs> in that moment, in that yeah. moment, you know, you kind of dealt with it, you processed it, you recognized that it was just a bad day and that there was still a lot to gain from that training block also put you in yeah. a good position because then you just, you had a lot more evidence after having a good, another good training cycle and you had a clear mind going in, which, yeah. which is, yeah. which is not easy. You know, I, I know you're making it sound easy, but it's not easy to get there. And I know some people struggle with it more for a lot of reasons, but you, but you're an inspiration, I think on that, on that front of having a short memory and then going back to work. I, and, and to me as a coach, there, there are a lot of inspiring things about watching people do work and get results, but there, there are particular, one thing that's particularly inspiring is when people don't have the race they wanted, or maybe even can't get to the race they wanted because of injury or something like that. You know, to see them work through that and come back, keep doing the work and then have the evidence show, you know, a year later or six months later that, that they could do it. Oh, it's so satisfying because I know how hard it is to keep working when you've had a bad result. So kudos to you. You are an inspiration. Thank you. And, and you know, I love that my kids got to see me fail because I think kids need to fail. And I think when they, you know, they, they knew that I wanted, they knew what was going on. They knew that I went up there to get a sub four and it was a big deal and they saw me not get it and they saw how I reacted to it. And I'm really glad they got to see that. Um, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It's cool. It also shows that, you know, anybody can, can do it in a sense. <laughs> true. It's true. And yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's so hard to see, you know, step back and see the big arc of life instead of just see the circumstance you're in. But fa failure, it, it makes it better. It makes the good stuff better. It really does. If you get everything you want on the first time, it, you don't really care. You think you care, but you don't. You don't care enough. It's so much sweeter when you've gotten knocked down and then you have to you have to pick yourself back up and deal with the fallout and work hard and yeah. I love this journey. Speaking of journeys, it's not over. So, you know, going back to that first email that you sent me where you kind of let it slip that there might be a secret Boston qualifying goal Yeah. in there. What are you thinking about next? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, 
it's it's the next logical step, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be, but it is for me. I know, and and yeah, I mean, I, I really think that's what that's what I'm gonna do. Um, I love running, and I want to go faster, and so that seems to be the next, you know, the next goal that makes sense. So yeah, let's go do that. Let's go do it. Okay. So if that's the next goal, then what does that journey look like? Have you thought about the next race? Have you thought about the the path to get there? I have thought. And um, yeah, I, I got done with this marathon and especially because I really felt like I had more. I really was like, I think I should probably just do one in the spring, even knowing that you would not like that <laughs> um, idea very much. And and I really don't think I was seriously considering it. I just wanted to. Right. So the plan is um, a half marathon in the spring, probably rock the parkway, which is a, which is a great race in Kansas city, which it's kind of rolling. And it has this great downhill finish mm-hmm. and a fall marathon yet to be determined to go for it because I think if I'm doing my BQ math right and thinking about your age when you would be in the window to qualify, I mean, we'd be talking about just having to break 350, right? Right. So which probably means what, like a 340? I'd probably say 345 would be, 345 would be the, the sub five BQ goal would probably be the safe place to, to target yeah. so that you don't have to worry about the, you know, the line in the sand, wherever that ends up being. Yeah. But who knows by then it might be yeah. further down. We, we don't know, but, uh, but yeah, probably, yeah. probably shooting for at least another five minutes off, maybe even another 10 minutes off would be, yeah. would be nice. Yeah. So going for it next fall with that's, that's a pretty big deal. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. What do you think you need to do to get there? Like, what do you think, you know, any changes, any things to add, you know, any lessons you take about how to take forward from these last two cycles about how to get a little bit more time the next time? Hmm. I don't, I, I really don't. I don't know. I think in my mind, I was just thinking, um, stay the course and then run faster. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, that's exactly the right answer, Mary Margaret. It really is. It was a bit of a trick question on my part. (laughs) You know, I think there's a lot of people that think that they have to every single time they start a new cycle up the ante in some way which occasionally, you know, you need to make some shifts or change things or add things. And, and you, you do that in a, you know, thoughtful way and try not to add too much at once. And, you know, all of that can be the case sometimes, but I think we also, also undervalue the cumulative training effect of just continuing to do the work the right way that will get you to a higher place, regardless of whether you add something magical or not. And 
and I think in this case, you know, having a more dedicated, you know, rogue podcast led half marathon block is a beneficial thing for you because it'll help work that into the spectrum before you go back up and maybe we can get a nice little half marathon PR, which will then lead, you know, to a, in addition to all the other work you're doing, lead to another marathon PR in the fall. But I really don't think it's more complicated than that, which, you know, might sound simple or too simple, but there's nothing simple about doing the work consistently, <laughs> right? I mean, it takes dedication. It takes day in and out, day out, making those decisions to get up and do the work. It takes, you know, making those decisions to go easy enough on the easy days and to push yourself on the hard days. I mean, while it might be simple, it's not easy <laughs> being committed to the process. Yeah. I mean, it it is remarkable to me how much um just it how different it feels now to go out and run five miles easy because before you know even three years ago there was no such thing as five miles easy five miles was really hard and i i love that i can do that I love that I'm fit enough to where anytime any of my kids want to go for a run, they know I'll go with them and I, and, and that I can, um, that just, it feels really good to me. That's cool. What would qualifying for Boston mean to you? Hmm. What would qualifying for Boston mean to me? I don't know. I think I am I am beyond thinking I have to do something to think I am enough. I I know I'm enough. Um I think mm-hmm. I don't know. It would just put a I I feel I I am a runner. I feel like a runner now. And I would just like to have that. I would like to be able to say that to my kids. I would like my kids to tell their to to tell their kids, "Your grandmother qualified for Boston." <laughs> um Maybe maybe it doesn't mean enough to me. Maybe I need I need to dig a little deeper now. But um, I don't I don't know that you need to. I do think it's something to reflect on and sharpen the the pencil on a little bit because I do think that it's important to make sure that you have a personal relationship with that goal. It -hmm. is a goal that's common in our world, and it's a worthy goal. I, I. wholeheartedly believe that, but I also think everybody needs to have a personal reason for wanting it that helps fuel Mm -hmm. that fire. And I love that you say you're enough and you know that because it's true. Um, But I also love that you say, Hey, this is a way to, to give my kids a tangible story that will not only inspire them, but inspire their kids. So that's pretty powerful. Yeah. And I know your family means a lot to you. So, you know, for me, if that's the reason, hell yeah, that's enough of a reason. And, and so I don't know that we need to get more complicated about it, but I would just 
let yourself reflect on that a little bit more and and confirm that that's that's the thing that that's the real reason right yeah but uh but it's but it's a cool and that's and that like i said that that is a big enough reason and is a is a good one on its own so all right so let's let's talk about as we wrap this conversation let's talk about others you know you said one of the things you you like about the podcast group is the diversity of people in it you know from first time marathoners to all levels pace wise to those that hey want to come in and, and focus on a half because that's an option and those that are doing more marathons so there's a huge range represented in the group talk a little bit about that you know you've talked about it and touched on it already but what does that mean to you and why is it inspiring oh it it's inspiring because they are so invested in their teammates regardless of where their teammates are um yeah i mean we have people that are so fast remarkably fast and when i run my you know what is my super fast 5k pace they are genuinely jacked up for me even though it's a it would be a walk in the park for them um yeah i it's it's it is i don't think unless until you're in there you realize how part of a family you feel and how much you care about about the people on your team and, and it even you know people share even beyond the running people are going through hard things um with their health and their families and people are moving and you get all that and and you know you go through the trials with them and and they go through yours and it's just it's pre, it's pretty spectacular um it's a beautiful thing. One of the thing that's one of the things that I think is makes it more palpable the the connectivity across the group regardless of what pace you might be using for your workouts is the fact that it because it is virtual you don't the the physical evidence of that of those differences aren't as palpable as it might be in some of our physical groups and while we have great community here in Austin within our groups mm-hmm. When you show up and you do the workout together, they're all working in very distinct groups. Some are happen to be going a certain degree of fast and others are going a different degree of fast. And that's beautiful in its own way, but it's less likely because of physical separation created by those different paces that somebody in one pace group might know as much about somebody in another pace group versus those that are immediately in their little world. But in that, but in that virtual environment, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter because you're all physically there in the same space, interacting about these things, and you don't see that physical difference as as palpably. And that makes it really cool to see, you know, sub three marathoners interacting and relating to, and you know, cheering on people at all levels, you know 
regardless of the number you put in, you know, put on the clock. And so it's, it's pretty cool. It really is. Yep. That's, that's exactly how I feel. I feel like, you know, the, yeah, the, the, all, all these kids who are trying to run sub three, I'm like, yeah, they're on my team. That's, that's my team. We're pretty fast. No big deal. (laughs) (laughs) No big deal. And you are too. So what would be your case for somebody who's listening who might be on the fence? Like, I don't know uh, about this podcast group or it may not be for me. What would you say? What would be your sales pit? Take, take the leap. I mean, there, there is, there is no question. Even if you are, a skeptic. And like I said, I was not a skeptic of the training I was going to get. I did not realize I was going to get so much out of being a part of a team and you will get both. You will feel so connected to your coaches um, that they, you get feedback you get out of it however much you want. You, you, if you ask a question, it is answered. And it's not only answered by Chris and Kate, but by your teammates. And they have great feedback too. Um, it, it's an amazing resource for, for any kind of questions or even if all you, all you need is to, to be pumped up a little bit or it, it, it will make your running life so much richer. It's, it's pretty great. <laughs> Dive in y'all. Well, cheers to that. And cheers to you continuing the journey with us and let's go get that Boston qualifier. Let's do it. Thanks for jumping on Mary Margaret. Really appreciate it for sure. Thanks, Chris. There you go. Mary Margaret, everyone. So, so proud of her for getting the goal, but more than that, for doing the work to get that goal because she definitely deserved the goal and to see her to see it pay off especially after having the bad race is so so inspiring so hopefully you're inspired and can learn from that journey and as i mentioned go check out the info if you're interested in the podcast group we'll be opening signups as we speak as i launch this today on december 9th and holding those open through january 3rd we'll have some transition workouts through the holiday period and then starting our training in earnest for spring races on January 6th. I did want to mention that we've also got a couple of other podcast training options that will come in the new year. So this is for anybody who is already an experienced runner. What we're talking about with Mary Margaret, an experienced runner who's already doing 25 to 30 miles per week at least, and we'll build you from there. Who's doing a half marathon, speed track, or marathon in the spring. We're also going to have two other programs starting in the new year. One will start in January. It's going to be a more foundational program for those that are looking to build their base fitness so that they could participate in a program like the one we just talked about with Mary Margaret, or perhaps somebody who might be injured and looking to rebuild that foundational fitness so that you can then jump into a program like we just talked about. So that'll be an option that will be coming later in January. So stay tuned for details on that. And I'm going to have Jason Brooks on, who's going to be helping me coach that one. And, and then we'll also have trail group, which will start later in the spring in the April timeframe for those that might be interested in doing an ultra, whether it be a 50 K or a 50 mile, we're kind of going to focus in that range, but you'll have the options to do both of those gearing up for that in the fall or for fall races. So 
those are two other programs that will be coming with the same sort of virtual kind of podcast-based format. So stay tuned for info on that. Otherwise, if you'd like to learn about this program, the Rogue Renegades, as we call them, then go to roguerunning.com forward slash podcast training. I'll also put the link in the show notes so you can check it out there. And that's it. That's it for today. Thanks again to Mary Margaret for joining. Thanks to you all for listening. You can always learn more about Rogue at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we will talk to you soon.